From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, J.R., on Tuesday night, Joe Biden will make his first official trip as president, coming to Milwaukee for a CNN town hall at the Pabst Theater. The focus is expected to be on the coronavirus pandemic and jump-starting the economy. Why do you think he picked Wisconsin, and what does that say about the state's role in the national political picture? Well, I mean, obviously we're important uh, for 2024 if he runs again. He's going to Michigan next week as well, so... There's no secret for Democrats. They want to maintain the so-called blue wall of Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Now, they're seeing more opportunities, places like Arizona and Georgia, that they flipped uh, this past fall for the first time in years. But really, that that's kind of the heart and soul of the, the, de- the Democratic presidential coalition, You know, those three states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, they, they have to pay attention to them. So I expect that Wisconsin will get a lot of attention between now and 2024. And it's just kind of a, a up in the air about does the Trump coalition remain where Trump brought out voters from largely rural Wisconsin who maybe hadn't really been participating before and then cut into uh, Dem performances in places like Milwaukee with uh, voters of color? And then do Democrats hold that coalition that their core constituencies in urban areas belong, but also making inroads in suburban areas that had long been Republican? It's it's an open question about how things are going to look without Trump on the ballot. Of course, the caveat is he might be back on the ballot in 2024. So either way, Wisconsin is going to be important. It, it has been for years, and there's nothing just right now it's going to fall off the map in any way, shape, or form. Also on Tuesday, Governor Tony Evers is set to deliver his biennial budget address. A couple more items trickled out last week as to what we can expect. It sounds like the Democrat will again call for an expansion of Medicaid, and he'll propose allowing counties the ability to increase their sales taxes by up to 1% if local voters approve. The Republican-controlled legislature ultimately approves the budget. How do you think the GOP will view these two items? One, Medicaid expansion. Uh, Evers proposed it two years ago. It was one of the first things Republicans took out. They have drawn a line in the sand that that is, in their minds, an expansion of welfare, and they're not going to go for it. So at this point, you'd have to think that that's where they're probably going to end up. The only question has been, is at some point that benefits so so attractive, so financially beneficial, they can't say no anymore. So as far as raising sales taxes at uh, local level, Probably not going to get very far. You know, I, I get the impression sometimes that there are Republicans who are open to suggestions or a conversation about new ways to to, find, to fund local government. But I just don't know in, in this environment coming out of a pandemic of what's been going on that they're going to be really enthusiastic with the idea of raising taxes on anybody, um, especially voters that had to go in the polls in 2022. What other highlights can we expect tomorrow night in the budget address? Well, you know, Evers has trickled out things like, you know, legalizing marijuana for recreational purposes as well as medicinal um, ways to invest in or help businesses coming out of the pandemic. You know, we're going to hear a lot of good things, you know, quote unquote, good things that Evers wants to sell to promote because governors have always done two kinds of budgets in the time I've covered the Capitol. There's kind of the difficult budget you do early in your term when you kind of try and do things to set yourself up for the reelection budget. 
what you do a year and a half out from facing the voters, and that budget delivers as much good good news as you can. I mean, you want to give people, this is the last big bill, really, to think about it for Evers before he runs for election. Now, I know it seems like a, an odd thing to say it's the last big bill, but truly, in a capital this split that's been this dysfunctional, this may be the one big bill they get done this session. Now, their other bills will pass and become law, but as far as something that's a huge impact on people's lives, this is going to be number one uh, without too much competition. And finally, Tuesday is primary election day in Wisconsin. There is one statewide race on the ballot, and it's quite interesting. Seven candidates are vying to be the superintendent of the public schools. It's an open seat because current superintendent Carolyn Stanford Taylor, who was appointed to the role when Tony Evers was elected governor, decided not to run for a full term. The top two vote-getters will advance to the April general election. Which candidates are you watching most closely, and who do you think will advance? Well, uh, people are talking more about Deb Kerr, um, who's a former Brown Deer superintendent. She's been kind of viewed as the Republican candidate, the the kind of pro-school choice candidate. She's getting help from voucher proponents. I've seen a lot of meet and greets with Republicans supporting her. What's interesting is she told two forums last week that she's a Democrat. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic there. But, you know, for Republicans, they haven't really put a lot of effort in this race for a long time. Same with school choice advocates. And part of it is because they've had the power of the purse strings with the legislature. So they haven't had to. So will there be a different approach to this race? Maybe, but Kerr might be the one candidate that choice advocates get the most excited about. Um, so she's thought to have a good chance to get through because, again, she's viewed as the Republican candidate, and there aren't really many others with that label running in the, the race. Um, on the other side, kind of more of the, the public school advocates, they lo- are looking at uh, Sheila Briggs, who is an assistant state superintendent, and Jill Underly, uh, superintendent for Picatonica. Sorry if I said that incorrectly. Uh, down in southwestern Wisconsin. Uh, Underly got the backing of WEAC, which it isn't kind of the 800-pound gorilla it used to be in Wisconsin politics, you know, pre-Act 10. But still, it, it, that endorsement is important. Um, a Better Wisconsin Together did a digital ad praising Underly, so those things probably help her. Briggs has raised more money than Underly, a little more active, reaching out to voters. So uh, those are the three names I hear about the most. There's the top two that get through in advance of the April election. And I guess normally you'd kind of figure out it'd be a you'd get a Republican candidate and then the strongest Democratic candidate, or which really they're not, they don't have party labels, but it's kind of how it's viewed sometimes. This time we're kind of wondering, is there a chance that you'll see two more left of center candidates get through? Like could Underly and Briggs both get through? Maybe. But I think the bet is right now from people I talk to is Briggs and either one of Underly or or um Brig, uh, sorry, Kerr, and then either Underly or Briggs, uh, unless there's a surprise. And there's at least one other interesting primary that's been getting a lot of play in central and southeastern Wisconsin. Incumbent Republican State Representative John Jagler of Watertown faces a challenge from former GOP State Representative Don Pridemore. They're vying to replace Republican Scott Fitzgerald of Juneau in the state Senate, and both have been campaigning vigorously. Jagler has been painted as too quiet and a Republican in name only, while Pridemore is known for his bold ideas and reputation as a lightning rod when he was in the Assembly. What are the dynamics of this race, and who do you think will advance? Uh, Jagler's getting most of the help from groups. Um, 
the Republican State Leadership Committee, the Wisconsin Realtors, Americans for Prosperity, the NRA. They've all endorsed Jagler, been doing things to help him. Um, Pride Moore has put mostly his own money in this race so far, hasn't really raised much from anybody else. Uh, he also, there's been some question if he actually lives in the district. Um, he, when he was in the assembly, he represented a district in a different Senate seat. So there is some question about that. He also he was renting a renting a, a place to live from a mayor of Hartford and who also happened to endorse his campaign. So all that said, um, all the signs I've been trying to look at in politics suggest that Jagler is in a stronger position. But we're also in this kind of un, this unique environment where we're not quite sure where the Republican base is after what happened November 3rd with President Trump losing Wisconsin, the allegations often baseless about the, the you know, election being rigged or stolen. Um, where is that Republican base? Are they are they excited to turn out and vote again? Are they you know, do they like somebody like Jagger or do they want to burn it all down? I, I had somebody tell me last week that they've heard the phrase just fed up a number of times from various Republican constituents. And they're wondering if that meant that they're Anybody in office right now is just kind of a disappointment for certain Republican voters, and they're not thrilled. So that could be a factor. But again, if I look at the things we're trained to look at, you know, who's got the most money, who's getting the most outside help, who's doing doors, it, it just seems like Jagler has an advantage. But it's an unknown environment, and it's going to be a super low turnout primary, so it's hard to say. That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts. 